Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I'm super excited because Dr. Marty Greer is here. We're getting to talk on a daytime on a weekday. So this is like crazy. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Totally. So welcome, Marty. I'm very interested to hear your input. We're going to talk today about skin in our dogs. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion loves helping pets get the care they need. That's why they're excited to announce that they've officially paid out over two billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in veterinary claims. That's two billion reasons for more tail wags and treats. That's 730,000 pets that got the care they needed. Trepanion would like to thank all of the owners and breeders who've trusted them over the last 22 years. If you're part of the Trepanion Breeder Support Program, don't forget to register your upcoming litters for their go-home day offers. That way you can send them home protected by Trepanion's world-class coverage. If you're not part of the program yet, what, what, what? it's completely free to join and lets you send your litters home with an offer for a full Trupanion insurance policy that waives the waiting periods. To learn more and to sign up, just visit my partner page at puredogtalk.com. We've talked in other podcasts, and we'll link those in the show notes, but we've talked about food allergies, and we've talked about parasites, and we've talked about some of those things, but there's a variety of other kind of rando things that pop up on dog skin, like seasonal alopecia and hot spots and yeast and staph and strange things, fungal infections. So good times. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the skin, believe it or not, is the largest organ of the body. So it accounts for an important part of our dog's health and it accounts for a huge number of veterinary visits. So a lot of people have noticed skin problems in their dog. In fact, at some point, almost every dog will have something wrong with their skin during their lifetime. Mm. So the better prepared you are to deal with it, the better off you are. So yeah, I think it's a great topic. Excellent. Okay, so let's start with the one that I think so many of us in show dogs particularly pop up with hot spots, And it's almost inevitably on the show side, the minute you're getting ready for that big dog show. So exactly. let's talk about that. Sure. Your national's coming up or exactly. it's like when you have little kids and you have their portraits, pictures scheduled to be taken and they fall down and get a black eye two days before the inevitably. Yeah. So, you know, life just kind of deals you some unfortunate a pimple in the middle of your forehead invariably. Exactly. So we all have to be realistic about how those things happen. So our typical response to a hot spot as a veterinarian is to grab the clippers and shake it. Now, at that point, I know I get my wrist grabbed by most of my at clients. At that point, every show dog person known to man freaks out. No, don't shame it. Exactly. And so that makes it a bit of a challenge for us as veterinarians to try and manage these because 
a hot spot needs to be treated similar to what a wildfire does out in the forest. Mm-hmm. And that's that you have to clear cut it. So you have to clip out around it so that you're an inch or two out around the hot spot into normal skin to effectively stop the spread of it. And so this is where the Shodog people totally freak out because that's, yes. you know, that's a year's worth of hair coat. For some dogs, it never grows back the same way. Like the Akita, yes. once you shave that, the hair comes back a different color, a different texture. It's yep. never the same thing. I had an Akita with a hot spot, believe it or not, in the middle of the top of his head between his ears. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but it's disastrous. So that's the problem. And as veterinarians, we're not as sympathetic to the show dog people. Perhaps we should be. I talked to a client yesterday who has an Irish setter that needs to have surgery. And so she's discussing how to time the surgery to get him shaved and get him back into coat and so she can show him and he's a veteran. And so he's only got a certain amount of time left. So those are all things that you really have to have a good discussion with your veterinarian about. And this is where having a good veterinary relationship really comes into play is your veterinarian is going to be a lot more sympathetic to your needs and expectations. If you have developed that relationship, if you end up at the emergency clinic, you know what they do. If they want to put a catheter in 360 degrees around the leg, you're like, wait, wait, hold it. Like, Oh, like, did you have to take the feathering off the back? Couldn't you just shave a <laughs> runway for the catheter to go in? No, this is how we do it. So it's a difficult challenge. So it's not that we're unsympathetic to it. It's just that we have to balance what your needs are with the dog's health. And so that's where this challenge comes in. And so let's talk about why did that dog just pop up with a hot spot? What happened? It's usually because a break in the skin of some kind occurred, whether it's an insect bite or they ran into the fence or, you know, something that just dinged the skin, allergies, anything that causes a break in the normal integrity of the skin then allows bacteria to develop. So a hot spot, the official name for it is an acute superficial bacterial pyoderma. It's not a hot spot. <laughs> but it sounds better to call it a hot spot. And people know what that means. So basically it's called a hot spot because it is hot, man. I mean, those mm-hmm. things can spread mm-hmm. and I've seen them double in size in 24 hours if you don't get it addressed. So there are definitely some things that we can do. So you want to keep your dog healthy, their skin healthy. You want to keep them from matting. You want to be careful when you comb them or brush them that you're not breaking the skin, going over their coat with a sharp comb or you know whatever you're using that you don't nick the skin doing that. When you're clipping them, if they are a dog that gets shaved for parts of their body or none of their body, whatever, because there are some, you know, like the setters, you know, they shave their mm-hmm. neck, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. You know, there's different grooming things for all these different dogs that you're as careful as you can be that you keep their skin and coat in good condition, that you reduce their exposure to biting insects because that can initiate it. And if they do have allergies, that you approach that and get a handle on those. You don't wait until, if you know the third week in August, your dog starts to chew their feet, you don't wait until the third week of August to address it. You start addressing it at the beginning of August because you have that expectation that the dog is going to have a problem. So being proactive can be really helpful. There's some diets that can be helpful. There are some anti-inflammatory diets that you can feed that reduce the risk of a problem. So if you have a dog with a dermatology problem, then I would be feeding a dermatology diet because you got to feed them something. So you might as well feed them something to make them healthier and use your shampoos and conditioners carefully. Dilute your shampoo. Rinse, 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 rinse some more. Don't leave any residue. You know, just be smart about how you're taking care of your dog's coat, because if the coat is important to you, then treat it as if it's important to you. And don't wait until the dog has big tufts of hair flying out or mats that you're having to address and then wonder why you're having skin problems. I can tell you, I mean, I've set up at dog shows where you're next to people and they're sort of spot bathing the dog and then they blow them out and the smell of urine is just atrocious, like just atrocious. And you're like, really? Like, is this as good a care of your dogs as you can provide? Because that is going to break the skin as well, that urine scalding, Mm -hmm. being unclean, having stool on their coat. I am sometimes really shocked by the people who bring in dogs that are supposed to be 
in show condition and you look at their code and you're like, no, really? Mm-hmm. You're going to get this good in two days? Like, I'm not thinking that's the case. So as a judge, I can tell you, <laughs> you know, oh yeah. Clean dogs, people. Yeah. When you want to wash your hands after you're done touching the dog, like that's it's bad. so disgusting. You're like, oh yeah. So just don't set yourself up for that. Be smart about it. And dampness. That is in my experience. So I live in the Pacific Northwest most of my life, right? Dampness, humidity, not getting the dog dry to the skin, breeding ground for bacteria. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I know Bill Shelton talks about that and it kind of cracks me up because he was in Southern California. So he can say, dry your dog down to the skin. But you live where you live. I live where I live. You know, today we've got snow cover. So the dogs come in, they get snow in their coat, they come in, they're damp. You know, that dampness, even if you're really careful, does carry through. So be thoughtful about it. If the dogs are coming in wet and dirty, that you really have to, you know, get them in a situation that they can dry as effectively as possible. So whether that's an absorbent crate pad or whether that's a blower, you know, fan on their cage, Mm -hmm. whatever it has to be, there are definitely some things you can do to be proactive about that too. And if you see something start to pop up, I mean, I know what I use that's worked for me, but let's hear from a real veterinarian, not just me. (laughs) What are your recommendations that people might try at home if they catch it early before it gets out of control? Sure. And it depends on what it looks like. If Mm -hmm. it's looking like it's developing into a hotspot, you need to be on it to dry it as quickly as possible. So there's some powders that you can use. If you have nothing else, gold bound powder will get you through until you can get into a sea of veterinarian. If you have the ability to keep silver sulfadiazine cream or spray in your tack box or in your house, that's a great product. It's an antibacterial, but not antibiotic. So it's colloidal silver does a great job. If the dog is scratching and itchy and uncomfortable, the sooner you can break that itch scratch cycle, the better. Now remember, itching is a sensation. Scratching is an action. So you can't see them itch. You can see them scratch. And that's one of my little pet peeves of mm-hmm. my dog is itching. No, no, it's not. It's scratching. <laughs> it's <laughs> so, scratching where it itches. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, be clear about it. So you can buy some of those topical sprays that have lidocaine or solarcane, stuff you can buy at the pharmacy that's over the counter that will help break that scratching cycle just to quiet the skin enough that you can get in. And I'll tell you, the cold laser therapy, the therapy laser does a tremendous job. So if we have a dog that comes in looking for a way to treat a hot spot and you are desperate because your national is next week and yes, it's on the show side and yes, you have a decent chance of winning your class and you've got to really have this dog in top condition, then laser therapy can do a tremendous job of helping. You set it on the contaminated wound setting or infected wound setting, depending on what the machine has for settings on it. And it can do a tremendous job of turning that hot spot around. Keeping the hair off of it, even if you can't clip you know, get those hair clips that women use in their hair, those big plastic hair clips and keep the hair clipped back and out of the way so that that skin can dry. Anything that you can do, hair bands, hair clips, whatever, that keep the skin healthy in that area while it's trying to dry out and heal before you have to shave the whole side of the dog can be really helpful. And, and I'm serious. I mean, these things can double in size overnight. Oh, yeah. You'll see it in the evening. You're like, oh, I'll check it in the morning. And overnight, it goes up, like I said, like a wildfire. So they spread very quickly because the hair that's moist then produces more moisture that Mm -hmm. then makes the wound bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. So it can be a dramatically impressive amount of skin that gets damaged pretty quickly if you're not really paying attention. So if the dog is scratching, licking, biting, doing anything that you suspect there's something wrong, take a look before you go to bed. Right. You know, pull the stick out or the leaves that got stuck in the coat or address it before you go to bed so that you don't leave the dog fussing with it all night. And do you then use also oral antibiotics when you're treating hotspots? Yeah. If you're to the point that it is a hotspot, then yes, you need an oral antibiotic. Oftentimes you need a steroid 
oral as well so that you can break that cycle of scratching and itching. Again, these are typically going to be prescription items unless you keep some available. So cephalexin, clavamox, those are great drugs for the skin. Trimalsulf is a pretty good drug for the skin, but I don't use it universally in all breeds because it does have some side effects like low platelet counts and allergic reactions. So I don't use it in Doberman, Samoyeds, and Golden Retrievers, a couple of other breeds. In general, it's a pretty good drug, but it's not my favorite for skin. Cephalexin, Simple Ceph, and Clavamox are typically the ones that most veterinarians are going to reach for. If it's a yeast infection, then you're going to want to also add ketoconazole, which can either be an oral tablet or a topical. It comes as a shampoo, it comes as a cream, it comes as a lotion. So it comes in a couple of different forms. And you can have your veterinarian do a slide, a cytology, take a smear of it and see, is it just bacteria? Is it bacteria and yeast? What are you addressing? Because just because you think it smells like yeast or just because you think it smells like Fritos between their toes, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a yeast infection. You definitely want to have that looked at. And it's a simple procedure. You just swab it, put it on a microscope slide, stain the slide, take a look at it. Any veterinary clinic can do that for you. And then you know that you're addressing the problem that needs to be addressed. Because if you're overlooking one component of it, if you have a yeast and bacteria and you're only treating for the bacteria, that yeast infection isn't going to resolve on its own. It's going to need help. Right. Okay. That's really good too. And talk to us about some of the less common things we see. So like a seasonal alopecia or, you know, something that you just can't figure out why does my dog have this giant bald spot on its rib cage? Right. right. So seasonal alopecia does happen in some breeds. It just means in the wintertime, sometimes their hair falls out. It's symmetrical. It can look like thyroid because it is symmetrical. It tends to be on the trunk of the dog. So we can definitely see that. There's a really interesting disorder called alopecia X, typically seen in the plush-coated breeds, which would be the Akita Caissons, the Pomeranians, the plush-coated breeds that is related to sex hormones. Usually it's the back of the thighs that they lose hair and it's just a quiet hair loss. It's not inflammatory. It doesn't look scaly, scabby, wet, moist, anything. It's not itchy. It's just this quiet loss of hair. So there's some pretty interesting things that happen. But bottom line is if you're having a problem and the skin problem isn't resolving, just get a skin biopsy done. They're no big deal. We do them with a local. You may find sebaceous adenitis. You may find demodex. You may find things that weren't found on any other evaluation. We just put a local block in, take a little punch, send it to the diagnostic lab, put two stitches in it. It's not a big deal. We don't put the dogs under anesthesia for it. And we can make a pretty good diagnosis with skin problems. So if you're really struggling and you've tried to get in to see a dermatologist and the dermatologists are too busy and overwhelmed and they can't get you in and you're looking at your vet and your vet's going, I don't know, I'm not sure what you got. And you've tried Brevecto or one of the other types of oral flea and tick medications that should get rid of mites. And you've tried shampoos and you've tried an antibiotic and you're not getting anywhere and the thyroid is normal. Then a skin biopsy is quite a reasonable option. It's not expensive. It can be incredibly valuable in determining what's going on. And you may be really surprised at what you find. We can see other things like ichthyosis. And, you know, that's a genetic disease that we can see primarily in golden retrievers and Labradors, but it can happen in other breeds. And it's called ichthyosis, which means fish skin. And it looks like fish skin. I mean, it's just this scaly skin that never causes the dog any problems. It starts off when they're young. It goes through their whole lifetime. You never can get rid of it. And I've seen people spend a jillion dollars trying to eliminate it. And they don't because it's always going to be there. So it's important that you have that diagnosis. There is a DNA test for it now. But if you have a breed that it's not a DNA test for or you're not sure what it is, like I said, a skin biopsy can be a great tool in shortcutting what you need. We had a dog that came in uh, about six months ago with awful feet, awful skin, just awful, just terrible. And we looked 
for everything, couldn't find it, but I had a strong suspicion it was either cutaneous lymphoma, which is a form of lymphoma in the skin, mm. a form of cancer, or Demodex, because I've seen either of those look very much the same. And it came back, fortunately for the dog, Demodex. Unfortunately, mm. he shouldn't be in a breeding program, and that's what he was purchased to do. But fortunately, he doesn't have a fatal disease because now we have oral medications that mm. can manage those for the rest of his life. It's not great to breed dogs with Demodex. I don't encourage people to do that, but it's a lot easier to diagnose and a lot easier to treat. And I think there's going to be dogs that we don't know had Demodex because they have been put on the monthly or the every three-month long-term oral anti-flea and tick medications like Cordelio, Nexgard, Semperica, and Brevecto, of which Brevecto is the only one labeled for use in breeding dogs. Right. But we're probably going to have dogs that went undiagnosed because they were using it regularly. The Demodex never became a clinical problem. And so people didn't know that they were breeding a dog that had Demodex. It would not mm -hmm. be their fault if they didn't know because the dog was clinically never affected by it. So I think we're going to see more Demodex start to mm. pop up in breeding populations by oversight. But anyway, you can sometimes have a really hard time nailing down these diagnoses. Right. And a skin biopsy is simple. Just boom, you know, put in a local block, right. take a little punch biopsy. It's the same test that we do for sebaceous adenitis currently for poodles and some of the other breeds that are part of the health screening that we do prior to breeding those dogs. Is We'll do two skin biopsies over the shoulders, over the back of the neck. Mm -hmm. The dog just stands there. We put a local block in, take an eight millimeter biopsy punch. Boom, take the punch, put in two stitches, send the dog out the door. We don't shave for it. We don't scrub mm -hmm. for it. We just take mm -hmm. a biopsy and send it in and we can have a diagnosis. So it's a really great diagnostic tool. Cool. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Revival Animal Health is a proud sponsor of Pure Dog Talk. Revival Animal Health understands your commitment as a dog breeder. For over 30 years, Revival has brought together both experts and products to support your success. Dr. Marty Greer, Revival's Director of Veterinary Services, is, as you know, a leading expert in canine reproduction and neonatal care. A breeder herself, Dr. Greer shares even more of her knowledge through Revival's webinars and online learning center to answer your questions and help support you. You'll also find support from the Breeder's Edge system. Revival's mission is healthier dams, sires, and newborns by providing you with the products and plans you need to keep them at their healthiest. Every sire and dam you care for deserves an edge at each stage of their reproductive lives. It's the edge you'll find from Breeder's Edge. Discover it today at RevivalAnimal.com. You brought up two great more things that I wanted to expand on a little bit, Demodex and sebaceous adenitis. <laughs> yes. Sebaceous adenitis is an autoimmune disease. Demodex yes. also in that category or no? And I think it's important that we expand on the Demodex, the difference between that little puppy Demodex that they get, sometimes a little hair loss under their eyeballs and adult onset demodex, which is, if I'm understanding correctly, an autoimmune disorder. It's immune mediated, but it's really not autoimmune. Autoimmune okay. means you're breaking down your own cells. Mm -hmm. Immune mediated means that your immune system isn't adequately addressing the problem that you have. So every puppy born on the planet is born exposed to demodex. Mm -hmm. As they're coming out the birth canal or when they're nursing, they're exposed to demodex. And if your immune system is normal, the demodex will live in tiny numbers on your skin, no big deal. If you don't have a normal immune system, it's usually a B cell deficiency, then Demodex will become either localized or generalized. 
So it can be localized on the feet, around the face, on the eyes, those kinds of areas, but it can become generalized and it can be like the whole dog loses its hair. Like it's just shocking. When my daughter was little, we had a pug that came in that had Demodex and she came peeling down the stairs at the clinic and it was this little black pug puppy, cute little puppy standing in the middle of the clinic. She comes peeling down the stairs across the clinic, stops dead in her tracks about six feet away from the puppy and kind of reels backwards looking at her like, ew, ick. And I said, it's oh okay, gosh. honey, you can touch her. She's not contagious. She's like, not touching that one. It looked that bad. Yeah. So it can be pretty dramatic. When a three-year-old goes, ew, right? because three-year-olds don't touch anything. They have no personal boundaries or hygiene. It's just terrible. Yeah, she had Giardia twice, so I can tell you she no. has no boundaries. So anyway, you can certainly see Demodex. It can be generalized. And the question is, how much of this is inherited? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, we think Demodex, the tendency to have it is probably heritable. And when I got out of veterinary school 40 years ago, 41 years ago, when we still had to ride a bicycle to power the x-ray machine, and there was no ultrasound, literally, there was no ultrasound machine. Dogs died of generalized demodex. They did. I remember mm. a dog dying when I was a senior in vet school. We put the dog on Levamisol, which is a sheep wormer, with an effort to try and strengthen the dog's immune system, and the dog died anyway. So demodex used to be a fatal disease, and this Doberman that we saw a few months ago would have died from his demodex if, A, we hadn't diagnosed it, and B, we didn't have one of the good new drugs to treat it with. Mm. So we definitely see demodex as a serious disease. And like I said, I'm sure we're going to end up breeding dogs that we didn't know had it because they've just never become clinical with it. And so if their puppies are bred and they have mm-hmm. Demodex and their owners aren't diligent with their oral flea and tick medications, mm-hmm. we'll probably see it show up because the topical flea and tick meds will not get rid of Demodex and scabies and some of those. Mm-hmm. The orals will. Now, there used to be a product called Mitoban, which you would use as a dip once a week or once every two weeks mm-hmm. to get rid of Demodex. Awful, smelly, disgusting, horrible mm-hmm. treatment. Lime sulfur. Works great on Demodex, but who wants to lime sulfur dip their dog once a week for the rest of their life? Nobody, because again, it smells like rotten eggs, very stinky, really difficult to work with. So the oral flea and tick meds are great for managing those, but please don't breed your dog if it has Demodex. Don't just go, oh, well, we can get rid of that now. Don't be so cavalier about it that you breed dogs that have a genetic disease. So following up on this, I have over the course of time in litters of puppies, seen that little puppy Demodex, then as adults, you don't see it, was explained to me early on that that's just their little baby immune system trying to defeat that. And I've suspected a correlation of that puppy Demodex to later other mediated diseases. How do you feel about that? Well, I think other diseases that are immunosuppressive or they're on immunosuppressive drugs for can certainly be related to that. But I don't think it leads to immune-mediated disease. So I don't think it causes polyarthritis. I didn't think it caused, but like I would then see other, a different thing, like a autoimmune thyroiditis or, you know, something along those lines. Right. Yeah. You can see some of those things and dogs that are immunosuppressed, if they have Cushing's disease and there's Mm -hmm. inherent, their steroid levels are so high Mm -hmm. that they end up immunosuppressed because of that, then their demodex can flare up. I've seen dogs with mammary tumors and pyometras have their demodex flare up. So anything that kind of drags down the immune system and causes it to be less effective or high doses of steroids, if the dog needs to be on steroids for one of the immune-mediated diseases like polyarthritis, like Addison's disease, you know, any of those things can certainly lead to dogs that had well-controlled demodex because their own immune system could handle it, but then we've layered something on top of it, mm-hmm. made it more complicated for their immune system, and they no longer can defeat that demodex, then yes, we definitely can see that happen. So right. you can see adult demodex, and that's when and where, and it's still typically around the eyes, on the feet, 
that's the typical distribution of Demodex. So it's kind of interesting because a lot of skin disorders, if you look at the distribution of them, it's a pretty strong hint to what the disease condition is. All the dermatology books will have like a little body map. We kind of call it roadkill. It looks like a dog that was squashed on the road. They'll have a top and bottom of the dog. And so if you go online and look, you'll see those distributions like fleas are typically right above the base of the tail and demodex is typically around the eyes and the feet and scabies is typically on the edges of the ears and the elbows. So there's certainly clues to that. And the seasonal alopecia looks like thyroid. It's bilaterally symmetrical on the trunk and hair loss on the tail and stud tail is in one spot. You know, So if you look at the body maps, if you have a dog that has a kind of an interesting distribution of skin lesions, then if you're Googling it, look at those body maps to see if that gives you some kind of a hint for where you should be heading with this problem. Of course, you don't want to play doctor. No. You want your veterinarian to be involved in this, but it can be helpful. I had a client that came in, this was a long time ago, with a hedgehog. Now, we don't see many hedgehogs anymore, but he brought in his hedgehog, and the hedgehog was losing her quills. Her name was Edith. Her husband was Archie because they were married and had baby hedgehogs. So this was Edith and Archie. And Edith was losing the quills over her shoulders. And I'm looking at this hedgehog going, I have no idea what to do with a hedgehog. Like, what is this thing? So the guy brings in the hedgehog. And along with her, he brings the instruction manual. And it says scabies can happen. And so we checked her for scabies. And oh, my God, I've never seen so many scabies in my life. They were just all over her. And it was causing her quills to fall out, which is, you know, a modified form of hair. So once we knew it was scabies, we could treat it and effectively get rid of it. And that is not inherited. Scabies is an infectious mite. Demodex is not. So these are, although they're both mites that live in the hair follicles, they're completely different. So sometimes just having those little hints to take to right. veterinarians, you know, right. this is what I, now, you know, you want to be careful because your veterinarian has an ego. And we don't want to damage their ego by acting like they might not know. But I don't know what the heck to do with a hedgehog. So I was very appreciative of the instruction manual that came with it. So if you have oh a veterinarian that's open to that, you know, just say, hey, you know, I saw this. Or the mother had this or the father had that. I mean, those are bits of information that are really important when you're trying to do a diagnostic workup on a patient. Right. And then our final one, sebaceous adenitis, which, as you say, is poodles, also Akitas. Um, I've seen it in more fox terriers. Another autoimmune or immune mediated. Which one? Right. It's immune mediated. Right. And because we're seeing so many doodles and Mm. people are breeding poodles to everything, the poodle people were pretty good about doing the sebaceous adenitis biopsies of the skin before they did their breedings. A lot of my doodle people are pretty good about doing hip x-rays, elbow x-rays, doing some of the DNA testing, but I haven't seen them universally embracing the sebaceous adenitis skin biopsy test. So we have seen some of those dogs then coming back in as doodle crosses, whether it's a Bernadoodle, a Sheepadoodle, a Golden Doodle, an Australian Labradoodle, you know, whatever has the word doodle in it. If the dog does have some unusual skin problem, then we should be looking for sebaceous adenitis as a possible underlying cause. Because just because you bred the poodle to a dog that wasn't a poodle, it doesn't mean all the bad genes fell out. They all follow that same line along. So you just want to be careful that you're not breeding a doodle to a doodle and ending up with that doodle thing becoming sebaceous adenitis as an right. underlying problem in your breeding program. Sebaceous adenitis, for those who haven't seen it, is really terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's really a nasty disease. But any seborrhea, whether it's sebaceous adenitis or some other form of seborrhea, can be really difficult cases to manage. Again, because this is the problem with skin is, like I said at the beginning, it's the largest organ in the body, and it's one that we account for a huge number of our caseload in veterinary clinics for, but most dermatitis doesn't kill the dog. It just makes them uncomfortable, maybe smelly, maybe uncomfortable and itchy, maybe difficult to live with. 
I mean, sometimes the dogs are so seborrheic that the couch smells in the house. I had one guy that had a special car for his dog because it smelled so bad. He had an old station wagon that the only thing he used it for was to drive the dog around when he went hunting or came to the vet. So some of these dogs are really hard to live with, and we want our dogs to have healthy skin. So be thoughtful about what you're doing, you know, what you're breeding. Don't just breed. Don't say, oh, well, you know, I'm not really going to worry about that because skin disease rarely kills the dog, but it's very, very hard to live with, and it can be very expensive we can treat allergies really well now. We have mm-hmm. great allergy drugs that aren't just steroids. We have Atopica, we have Apoquil, we have Cytopoint. Mm-hmm. They're great drugs. More are coming. Great diets are out there. But don't breed a dog with allergies. I mean, just don't because it should not be in your gene pool. Yeah. It's going to be a burden to the next family. I personally have a dog right now that I would like to put in a home, but she has championship. I will never, ever, ever breed her. And I would like to find her a home. But one of the responses I got back from a person that I had sent an email about was, no, thank you. I don't want to spend oodles of money with Zoetis for the rest of this dog's life. And I understand that. So, you know, I have to find someone that's willing to take her or keep her for the rest of her life because I'm responsible for her. She is my breeding. So I have to be you know, responsible for that. So think about those things before you say, oh, well, you know, she only choose her feet for August and September, and then the rest of the year, she's fine. No, that's a dog with allergies. And that's a dog that may produce other puppies with allergies. Yeah, I think people, it's the same, like it used to be thyroid, right? Oh, I can give them a pill, they'll be fine. It's cheap and easy to treat. Well, but there's other things that aren't caused by having a low thyroid, although possibly, but in the same reality of immune mediated. And as we have discussed on other podcasts, what is heritable is not necessarily the exact same disease. Right. So right. So just be thoughtful about what you're doing in your breeding program, because all genetic disorders are not created equal and some are yeah. more bad. So yes. more badder than others. So don't breed bad ones because those are things that chronically people have to manage and they won't appreciate having a dog that comes into their life that requires chronic, expensive, long-term management of a disease process. So can you avoid them all? Absolutely not. But be smart about it. Be as careful as you can. Think about it, people. All right, Marty, you are my hero. I appreciate it. You have a fabulous day. I can see the snow behind you. It's making me cold just looking at it. Oh, yeah. We had a blizzard yesterday. So, <gasps> yeah, we flew into Milwaukee and landed in a snowbank. So it's always <gasps> awesome. <laughs> Makes Rucks. traveling lots more exciting than it needs to be. So, yeah, but it's all good. There were multiple 30 car pileups here in the state yesterday. We avoided them all. I'm good. That's good. That's yeah. good. You made it home safe. Whoop, whoop. Yep. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Marty. You have a great day. Thank you. Heads up, crew. We have a super exciting opportunity for all 291,000 of you. What? Right? We want to hear from you. What products and services do you love in the dog world? Through March, you will find a link to a quick survey at puredogtalk.com to give us that information. And... Because I know it can seem daunting to carve five minutes out of a jam-packed day, I am prepared to bribe you. (laughs) For real, everyone who completes the survey this month will receive one free Pure Pep Talk mentoring message and be entered in a series of drawings. The grand prize winner will receive one full year paid membership in our amazing patrons group. Additional prizes include a free download of the audiobook 
Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs, a free download of the First Aid Kit video with Dr. Marty Greer, and free Pure Dog Talk wine tumblers. So hey, take a couple minutes, swing by puredogtalk.com and complete your survey for the good of the order and a chance at some extra goodies. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.